Welcome, everyone. This is a joint uh, Scriptures Are Real podcast and um, Society for the Preservation of Ancient Religious Cultures, or SPARC, um, one of our monthly broadcasts. I know many of you were expecting Dr. Andrew Skinner. Um, he's very sorry he couldn't make it. It just turns out he has a calling um, working at the uh, with missionaries in a branch at the MTC and uh, sometimes he can uh, kind of get out of that on Thursday nights, but they had like their largest group coming in ever, and, and he just ended up needing to be there tonight. And um, hopefully uh, you'll enjoy that. And if you're just listening to this on the podcast and you want to be part of that, uh, you're certainly welcome to join um, Spark. You can go to Spark Project. That's Spark with a C. For, it stands for cultures that last C there. So sparkproject.org. So S-P-A-R-C project.org and uh, you can join there so that you could listen to Andy's uh, lecture uh, which is going to be on the Dead Sea Scrolls and uh, their, its connection with Latter-day Saints and how it helps us understand the New Testament. So I'm also supposed to make a few announcements. Um, we are planning on having a live event on Education Week uh, that will be on Wednesday the 23rd probably about 5 p.m. something like that we'll let you know for sure on that but one day Wednesday August 23rd We'll do that uh, on campus where we can get together in person and probably we'll try and eat together afterwards as well. And we'll show things, latest things from the excavation and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, we also want to let you know that we're we're working on uh, the renewals. The website has been updated. It can handle renewers, renewals and payments and and all that should be happening really soon. I've been busy signing books to send out to uh, those who are, are gold members and so on. Uh, so you should be hearing from us about that really soon. And uh, we're just excited about all the good things that are going on. Um, uh, Brett Nielsen and Josh Dance have been uh, doing a lot uh, to get that website looking good and working for us and so on. So lots of good things happening um, and lots of good things to look forward to. We're also looking into doing a few more lectures with uh, both myself and with some guest lecturers, uh, even maybe a couple of different kinds of lectures. So we're we're looking into that. But today, we want to do an overview of the Book of Acts. And this is designed to help uh, as we're here halfway through the year, we're transitioning in the Come Follow Me uh, program uh, and study from studying the Gospels to the next part of the Old Testament. And that starts with the Book of Acts. And it seems to me that uh, if you don't understand kind of generally what's going on in the Book of Acts, you're going to struggle to understand everything else in the rest of the New Testament, that knowing um, the, the themes of the book of Acts and some of the happenings in the book of Acts helps you understand because the rest of the Old Testament are the epistles, largely of Paul, but we also have John and Peter and others, uh, James. So uh, it's I think it's just useful to get an overview to understand the books, uh, book of Acts itself, but also to understand the rest of the New Testament. So that's my goal tonight is to help us to um, be able to get more out of uh, this for the rest of um, our study together. So hopefully the video audience, you can see um, my screen now. Uh, please let me know someone uh, if you can't. But anyway, so here's our overview of the book facts. And we need to start out by just understanding what Acts is. This is volume two of Luke's writings. So uh, we can look here where in Luke chapter one, <clears throat> verses one through four, where he says, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, meaning us Christians, 
even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. So he's saying, I'm, I'm writing this based on the things I've been told by those who were there. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of these things wherein thou hast been instructed. So this is a letter to a guy named Theophilus. Uh, who has he's been instructed, but he has some questions, and Luke wants to address those questions. And so, part one, his first letter, is what we have as the the gospel according to Luke. But at the book of Acts, you're going to read uh, this. Uh, I need to get something out of the way here. How do I hide this? Um, oops, nope, hit the wrong thing. I apologize. There we go. Uh, Sometimes the Zoom controls get in the way. So he says, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, so it's the same person, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. So he's talking about, I, may, I wrote you that first letter. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So this basically he's saying, I, I wrote uh, that up to that point. Now this letter is what follows. Now I, I want you to notice that he talks about all that Jesus began both to do and teach. This is what he did before he died, but the book of Acts is what he does after his ascension. So after his resurrection and ascension into heaven, right? So the gospel of Luke is what he does, his Christ's beginning, and then the book of Acts is the continuation of Christ acting. And that's what we need to understand. Now, verse 8 of chapter 1 in many ways is the theme of the entire book of Acts where Christ tells his disciples, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witness unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So remember that list. We'll come back to that in a way. But that's the theme is taking the gospel everywhere. Okay, so remember that that this is what about what not just Jesus had begun to do but now what he continues to do and that's really the key thing it's what Jesus continues to do after he has died and ascended into heaven so there's if we're going to look at a character in the book of acts there's only one fully unifying character peter dominates the first part paul the the second like two thirds um but the only one who really is throughout the book is christ he is the central character in the book, even though we only hear him speak a couple of times, he really is the central character in the book. And the book is about what Christ does through his disciples. So this takes us back. If you've been following uh, my podcast, you'll know that one of the big themes I've, I've always tried to follow is how the father sends the son and the son does only what the father would do. And then the son sends others and they should do what Jesus wants them to do, and they bring people to Jesus so he can bring them to the Father. So just as in the, the New Testament or in the Gospels, um, Jesus makes it clear that we're, while we're reading about him, we're really reading about the Father because it's just Christ doing what the Father would do. In Acts, as we read about the apostles, we're really reading about Christ. Um, or at least them doing what he would have them do. Now, they don't have quite the, exactly the same character or the way that Christ does with the Father, but still we're reading about them doing what he wants them to do. And so this is the book, it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but we could, I think, better understand it if we were to say, this is the Acts of the Apostles fulfilling Christ's directions for them. And of course, Christ is fulfilling the Father's will. So that's the thing that we need to remember. Um, let's remember this from Acts chapter 1 to whom 
uh, he, meaning Christ, showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom. So remember, he's with them for 40 days. So this is part of what they're trying to do is uh, or Christ is trying to do is uh, we're reading about what Christ does. And the first thing he does is spend 40 more days teaching his uh, apostles. We call it the 40 day ministry. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. So he, first of all, tells them in Jerusalem, go meet me in Galilee. Then they meet him in Galilee, and he talks to them a little bit, and then he tells them to go back to Jerusalem. And he teaches them there for 40 days and says, stay here until it's time, uh, until you receive the Holy Ghost. Then you're going to know what to do. So that's, that's uh, how this starts out. Now, if we're going to continue looking at what Jesus does, let's look at verses 9 through 11. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So this is the picture. Uh, the picture of this event is what is huge in the church office buildings because this is the commission that they take so seriously there. You'll find it like it's in a lot of high council rooms and all sorts of stuff. Anyway, the idea is that this is when Christ tells them what they need to do and they go into heaven and we get the promise that he will come again. So while Acts is act two, as it were, it's not the final act, right? Christ is going to come again. And that's what we also need to remember. But this is focusing on what his apostles do after he goes into heaven. Now, this is interesting because what he promises them is that they will have communion. They're going to have communion with him through the Holy Ghost. That was a big emphasis of the, the sermon he gives them uh, at the Last Supper as he's preparing them just before he leaves them, that they're going to continue to have communion with him through the Holy Ghost. And he's telling them that again now. So you go to Jerusalem and wait for that spirit to come upon you so that you can have communion with me still, so that we can continue to have that together, right? And that's how they will fulfill Christ's mission. They will do his mission. He's done his part. Now they are going to do the rest of his mission on his behalf um, as they enjoy this communion. They will, uh, and sometimes uh, we, we talk about on their commute, they'll have communion, Um they they'll do his will. All right. Now, I want you to look for covenant themes in that. As soon as we start talking about unity, communion and doing God's will, I, we start to see covenant themes. So we're going to keep looking for covenant themes in all of this. And, and we don't have time to go into it the way we could. But it is especially in Peter's language. As Peter teaches, he just talks about the covenant again and again and again in the book of Acts. It's great stuff. And this is where we get Peter as a powerful preacher. Um, but there are covenant themes throughout. All right. So now we're going to get the beginning. Once he he leaves. Now the apostles start to do his will, and their first job is to choose another representative. Again, Christ sends people out, so they need a, another member of the 12, uh, and we know they, they do that by casting lots. I think this is their way of, of receiving inspiration from him and so on. Um, and then I want us to notice a pattern um, that's going to happen here. So remember, they met with Christ in Galilee, and then they meet with him in Jerusalem, and then he sends them. And they go to Judea, which is that verse we saw, that that's where they should go. That's the first place they go. Then we see them go to Samaria, just like that verse said. And we see them going in areas around there. And then they go to all the world, just like he told them. So this is actually similar to his, his ministry. 
His ministry was primarily in Galilee, but there were key parts of it in Jerusalem. Uh, he preached in, in Judea and Samaria and the regions round about. He doesn't go to the world. He sends us to the world, right? So he has them follow this pattern and then has them take the next step. And that's what we need to remember. So, of course, the beginning then is at the day of Pentecost. So this is just, you know, about a week later um, after he tells them, wait here in Jerusalem, because Pentecost is 50 days after Passover and he's, he dies on Passover and then he's in the tomb for a few days and, and uh, so on. Um, so about a week later, we get this. The day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled. This is a lot like the Sinai experience, and they have to recognize that. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noise abroad, the multitude came together. So people hear what's going on there. And they were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So these are people from all over the place. And they hear the apostles speaking and they hear one hears them speaking in, in Greek and another hears them speaking in, in uh, Latin and who knows what other languages and uh, Aramaic probably and all sorts of stuff. And they're, they're saying, wow, how is that happening? And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? Like, they don't know these languages. And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya and about Cyrene and strangers of Rome. And so that means uh, foreigners from Rome and Jews and proselytes. They're all hearing this in their own language. Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues, the wonderful works of God. So one of the things that we want to see here is that the beginning of this going to all the world is happening here with all the world having, or people from all over the world having gathered in Jerusalem. And I'm sure that the apostles recognized it in this way and thought of it in this way. So they, uh, they're starting to see, okay, we, we can do this. And in some ways we can do it right here. Of course, it needs to be much more than that. One of the things we have to recognize is that because they have come, the Jews have come to misunderstand a key element of the covenant, there's a, there's a problem in their understanding what they're supposed to do. We learn, and we talked about this uh, extensively last year in the Old Testament, but we learn uh, from the book of Abraham that when the covenant was given to Abraham, it was an inherent part of the covenant that they were supposed to spread the covenant as far and wide as they could. Everyone should have an opportunity for the covenant. That was true in, in Adam and Eve's day. Right, They were trying to get the covenant to all of their children. Uh, it was true in Enoch's day. It's always been true. But the Jews lost sight of that, and they became very insular and felt like the gospel should not be shared with anybody. Uh, that uh, Well, that the covenant should be that uh, really they, there was even a problem to talk to anyone who wasn't a member of the covenant people. And so we're going to see that initially, as they spread the gospel, their idea is that they're spreading it to Jews who are all scattered all over the world. So they're not thinking when they hear uh, Christ tell them to take it all to all the world, they're not thinking, oh, we take it to everybody. No, it's we take it to Jews all throughout the world. That's what they're hearing and understanding because that's their cultural understanding. That's what they were taught. And it's gonna take some work to overcome that. And we'll see that as we go throughout Acts, all right? Now, one of the things that happens is because of the new covenant, that the power of the covenant, that the power of the Holy Ghost coming, the apostles become new men. 
right? That they were great men beforehand. I don't want to, to, to denigrate them or say that they weren't great men, but they are greater after this. It's really amazing. And really, it's going to be Peter who we see this in the most. He's the one that we get Luke is going to write about the most in the first part. So we get uh, here in Acts chapter two, Peter standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice to teach all those people on the day of Pentecost. Or, and he says unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. He is so bold, right? Then Peter said, uh, this is the next day as he's in the temple, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now we know that the apostles healed people before when Christ sent them out on a mission, they healed people. Um, and so this isn't entirely new, but this is new in that they're doing this without Christ. And Peter is rising to the occasion and uh, is just a magnificent leader. Right? And when Peter said, so then we get people asking him questions uh, and they want to condemn Peter for this. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? And then he will teach and explain and condemn them and say, you crucified the Messiah. And he's just so forthright about it. Um, it. We get it in the next chapter. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. He's being accused by the rulers. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Right? He is so bold. You see the power that has come upon him. Um, we see it in that same chapter. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So they've told them, don't preach this anymore. And they say, ah, sorry, we have to listen to God. We are not going to listen to you when you speak contrary to God. Such power. These are such new men. All right. Chapter 4, verses 31 through 33. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake with the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. There's that unity that we talk about, this part of the covenant. Neither said any of them that, uh, that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them. So note, they're going to take care of each other right? This covenantal caring, they're going to bear witnesses we're supposed to under the covenant. They're doing all that God is asking them to do. It's, it's just fantastic stuff. We get into chapter five. <clears throat> then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth. I mean, just such powerful stuff going on. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. So they bring them back. Uh, and the high priest asked them, saying, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. I mean, it's so bold. And if the, the, I wish that everyone in our church right now could have this line. We ought to obey God rather than men. Uh, Peter was not going to give in to the pressures of man. We're not all doing as well at that as we could. But uh, just so powerful. These apostles are new men uh, as they are given communion with Christ in a new way that changes their natures and enables them to go and do Christ's work. 
they are going forth doing Christ's work, as we said. It's beautiful stuff. They're also given the chance to flourish by this wonderful uh, experience where uh, the, the Sanhedrin is gathered together to figure out how can we stop it. And there's a man named uh, Gamaliel. You can pronounce that a couple different ways. Uh, but usually in Hebrew the, or Aramaic, the emphasis on the second to last syllable. So really, if you say emphasis on the second to last syllable, you're doing it right. Um, so. Uh, he is the, the son or grandson of Hillel. He's a very well-respected uh, sage or, or uh, Pharisee or, or um, ruler. And he stood there in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. So he says, send them out. I want to say this without them. And he said to them, you men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as touching these men. And then we'll skip a little bit and get to verse 38. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. See how wise he is. He says, for if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. It's, it's just such great uh, advice where he says, let's just leave them alone. If it's not divine, it'll peter out. If it is divine, you can't stop it, and you don't want to be on the wrong side. Uh, now, some people will continue to try and stop it. Paul's going to be part of that group. But this is what gets them so that they don't have the, the most of the Sanhedrin trying to shut them down. It gives them an opportunity to flourish just a little bit for just a little while. Okay, so now we ask ourselves, what else is Christ going to do through these men? What, what else will happen? What else can he do? And uh, we're going to talk about how they care for people. This is part of the covenant as part of what they're supposed to do. Um, and uh, one of the ways they care for people is physically. They're supposed to feed them, take care of the widows and so on. We're going to see this as part of why uh, we get a, a seven leaders called in a little while is they're trying to care for them physically. They're trying to care for them spiritually. Um, and this is in contrast with Judaism, which was supposed to take care of people physically, but Christ, I mean, and some certainly were, but Christ was coming down really hard on Jewish leaders for not doing that, just as he had through his prophets throughout the entire Old Testament. Um, and we don't see them trying to take care of others, or at least sp spreading uh, the covenant in a way to take care of everyone else uh, spiritually. But uh, the Christians are going to do that, all right? And as I said, th th there are certain, certainly covenant overtones in this. Now, as we look for these covenant overtones, I think you're going to find them in one specific thing. There's one defining characteristic in the book of, of Acts as to what makes someone a follower of Christ. Um, and this theme is carried throughout the book of Acts and throughout most of Paul's writings, all right? And it's the Greek word pistis. All right. And pistis is typically translated as faith. And that's that captures a good part of it. But it's more than that. Faithful is probably even better. Uh, it certainly has a component of loyalty. Right. It's it's uh, kind of reverse chesed that you have this loyalty, this covenantal loyalty back to God and to each other. Um, so it's not reverse chesed. It's returned chesed and spread chesed. All right. Um, so uh, a follower of Christ is one who is faithful or who is loyal to Christ no matter what and loyal to other covenant holders no matter what. That in the face of everything, they show their loyalty or their faithfulness. That's how you know someone is really a Christian. Uh, that's how this is really carried through the book of Acts and in Paul's writings. So um, we'll see one of the ways this theme is is carried is by looking at who is a, a, a pistis or a faithful follower of Christ and who isn't. So for example, you start out with Peter, who demonstrates absolutely he is a faithful follower of Christ. You're going to get Stephen, who gives his life 
uh, because he won't deny Christ. Uh, in contrast, you have, oh, that should have an S there, Ananias and Sapphira, who withhold some of their money in taking care of other people, right? They do not have pistis. Uh, Saul, who interestingly has pistis, misplaced pistis, but very zealous and faithful to Jehovah, just not recognizing he is Christ. And then he turns around when he recognizes that. And wow, is he faithful, right? You're going to have Mark, and this will become an issue. Saul thinks that because Mark goes home through in, in one of their journeys that he is not faithful. Uh, I think he actually just had some other things going on, but um, he has a problem with Mark for a while. They'll eventually be reconciled, but he has a problem with Mark for a while because he thinks he's not faithful. I'm not sure he's correct in that. Sometimes Paul is a, a bit overzealous, but anyway, um, so this is something to keep an eye out for. Are people uh, demonstrating pistis or not? Okay. Now, I want to also show how there's a literary path in the book of Acts that is aimed at, I mean, it's, it's certainly trying to tell us about Peter, and Peter is huge in the first part, but Peter, in a way, is is important because of what he leads us to. Now, that's not true, really. We know he's the, the leader. He has all the keys and so on. But in, in a literary way, in what will become the major theme of the book of Acts, which is doing Christ's will and spreading the gospel to all the earth, Peter plays a key role, but he's not the focus. The focus will become Paul. Uh, and and that's clear. And part of that is because Luke is Paul's mission companion. And so that's who he knows a lot about and could tell a lot of the story and so on. I often think that if we had writings from other people, we might think that it's not just Paul taking, you know, right now we think, well, Paul's primarily responsible for taking the gospel to the Gentiles. There are probably other people, if we had uh, the writings of Barnabas's companion and other people, my guess would be that we say, oh yeah, he's one of many. But what we have is the writings of Paul. So um, let's look at this literary path, how the book takes us to this spreading of the gospel, which also has this emphasis on Paul. All right. So we have, after we get, you know, Peter showing how faithful he is and getting lots of converts and they start to take care of the poor and taking care of the poor yields the choosing of the seven, because what happens, and this is starting for like a couple of, well, a week away uh, reading, but still we want to just kind of get the whole book of Acts here. Um, what happens is there's a group of Hellenized Jews, and um, they uh, will go through that in the next episode of the podcast, but Hellenized Jews and what that means and so on. But they feel like that a lot of the widows that are Hellenized are not getting taken care of. And the apostles say, we don't have time to both take care of, uh, you know, feed the poor and spread the gospel the way we need to. But we need to feed the poor. We need to take care of them. So let's choose someone else to do that. So they choose seven leaders. All right. And and that choosing of seven leads us to the story of Stephen, who will be persecuted and give this great sermon and so on. And the, the story of Stephen leads us to Saul because Saul is part of the killing Stephen. Um, and I think that while Stephen is a fantastic story, I think that if it didn't lead us to Saul, that his story wouldn't have been included. Honestly, I think it's included because it leads us to Saul and the story of Saul. Uh, it leads us to Christ transforming Saul. That's really what it leads us to, that Christ changes Saul into Paul. And that leads to Saul being prepared to continue to do God's work. Now, let's continue with this literary path. Peter is also being prepared. All sorts of things are happening for Peter to be prepared. He's he's taken to the right place because he's healed someone and uh, so on. And then he's down in Joppa uh, and he's prepared by a vision. Um, and in the meantime, another guy named Cornelius is being prepared. Uh, we'll go more into depth in these, you know, in other uh, podcast episodes, and we don't have time in just this Spark lecture to do it. So I hope you'll you'll listen to the 
podcast so you can get it. But Cornelius is prepared. Um, and then Peter is transformed. He is changed by the this preparation. <coughs> and not only by this his preparation, but by how he sees his preparation coincides with Cornelius's preparation. So he's transformed. Cornelius is transformed into not just being what is known as a God-fearing Gentile, but into being a covenant member of Christianity or a covenant member of Israel, which is fantastic, all right? And then all of the Jerusalem leaders have to be transformed. They, they to begin with, cannot take this idea, but Peter convinces them, and they're transformed into someone that can support Gentiles becoming part of their covenant community. It's fantastic. That leads then to Saul being prepared by and with Barnabas, and they go to Antioch, and we'll get back to that a little bit more in a minute, all right? So, and we're going to get Paul going. Oh, I've misspelled this, but Paul's going to go out and preach to the Jews, and the Jews will reject him, which leads directly to the Gentiles being prepared. And then the Gent Paul preaches to the Gentiles, and that leads to the Gentiles being transformed. And that leads to Jewish Christians are prepared to deal with Gentile, the, the Gentile Christian question, right? Now they have to figure out what do we do with all these Gentiles who are truly transformed? Is that okay? And those are stories for another day, but this is, again, still this literary path we're trying to follow. So that leads to what is called the Great Jerusalem Council or the First Council. And this is when they decide that the Gentiles can become Jews and they don't have to, or not Jews, but Christians without becoming Jews. They don't have to be circumcised and they don't have to do all sorts of other things. There's just a couple of things they have to do, and we'll cover that elsewhere. That leads to Jewish Christians being transformed um, as they recognize well, some refuse, but those who are pistis, who are faithful um, and, and stay in this covenant community are transformed to be ready to, to accept this. There are some difficulties with it, and in some ways it tears the church apart a bit. And then Christianity is now prepared by all of this um, for the, the world, and thus the world is prepared to uh, receive the gospel. So Paul goes to all the world, and that will transform the world. Uh, so that's really the literary path. It's just how we get to Paul going to the world. And then the rest of the book of Acts is about Paul's uh, missions or his uh, ministry. Now, we're going to just do some brief overviews of his three missions. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this. You don't need to get it down in, in perfect detail now. You're going to have the chance to get uh, through it a, a little bit as we go. But I believe you won't really understand what's going on with the epistles or even with any of the individual missions if we don't get this overview of the missions. We get this big picture. It will help you understand what's going on with the epistles. It will help you understand each mission in its place. So we're just going to go through each mission a little bit. All right. And I'm going to try and describe it to you, not in depth, but just a little bit. So um, Paul's first journey, he is uh, sent to Antioch. All right. And so is Barnabas. What has happened <clears throat> is there's something going on in Antioch. They are hearing that there's uh, all sorts of uh, questions about these Gentiles and do they need to keep the law of Moses or not. So the apostles send Barnabas, um, whose name is not really Barnabas. Uh, I can't remember what it is. I think it's Mark. Now I can't remember, but he's called Barnabas. That's his nickname because it means uh, son of encouragement, right? He's just a positive, upbeat guy 
who's uh, accepting and going to go and, and look at things for what they really are and not with uh, prejudging or prejudice, right? And uh, he'll be up there with Saul, who will start to become Paul. And Antioch is their home base for a long, long time. So they're they're going to go to the Antioch. And while they're there, the Spirit calls out, to, and it doesn't say how this happens, but everyone seems to know Barnabas and Saul are called to go and share the gospel with all the Gentiles. And Mark will go with them. Uh, he's also called. So this is a significant thing. They're called there in Antioch, and they're going to take the gospel. So they will sell. And we have to say this is Antioch of Syria. There are lots of different Antiochs. So this whole area was controlled by the Seleucid Empire before Rome took it over. Um, and one of the great powerful leaders of the Seleucid Empire is a guy named Antioch uh, Epiphanes. And so it turns out there are lots of towns named after him, just like there are several Alexandrias named after Alexander, right? So there are several Antiochs. So this is Antioch in Syria. Um, that's not far from where Paul is from originally and uh, is not far from Jerusalem, and it, it becomes their home base. So they will sail um, uh, from there to uh, the island of Cyprus, and they will land in a place called Salamis, and they preach to the Jews at Salamis. That's always what they do first is they preach to the Jews in the synagogues, all right? Um, but the, the Jews reject them, so they preach to others. Uh, but then they walk 90 miles across that aisle to uh, Paphos, and they preach there. Um, and then they'll sail uh, from Cyprus up into what we often refer to as Asia Minor. This is southern Turkey today, um, to a place called Perga. And it's from there that Mark will leave. Now, this may be because Mark has never really been away from a primarily Jewish uh, place and, and he doesn't know how to get by. He's maybe still trying to keep kosher and he just doesn't know how to get by or this is uh, kind of a big deal for or maybe he's inspired. He needs to go back and write things or I don't know what. But in any case, he leaves and it will be a long time before Paul can forgive him of that, even though I, I, I think Barnabas said, fine, go ahead. Uh, I think he had permission for Barnabas to go, but that's just me speculating anyway. Um, so they sail to Perga and Mark will leave, and then they're going to walk to Antioch of Pisidia, all right? So Pisidia is a, kind of a, a governate or an area um, in this area, just north of southern Turkey. Um, so uh, Perga is in an area called Pamphylia, and then they go to Pisidia, and it's to Antioch of Pisidia, which is right on the, the border of that area. Um, and they get lots of converts there. Uh, so this is kind of a small little journey, all right? This is this first one is the smallest one, geographically and probably time-wise, all right? Then they they walk to a place called I Icomium, so they're walking east from there, um, and they spend a few months at Icom Iconium. They're uh, gathering a lot of uh, followers, and they have to strengthen them. They have to make sure there's no one else there that knows anything, so they can't move on. And this is part of what we have to understand. Everywhere they go, they're building new congregations, brand new. And if they do it for a week and then they leave, then you have a whole bunch of people who believe in Christ, but they don't know much about what they believe or how to behave or anything else. And they'll end up believing weird things. And that happens to some degree anyway, and mostly acting the way they should. So they try and stay in a place long enough that they can teach a lot 
and strengthen some local leaders, some men and honestly, sometimes women, although the women have to be leaders in a different way. Um, they, they strengthen local leaders to get to the point where they feel like they can move on. This is uh, what Paul has to do all the time. And then he has to keep writing back to these places to fix problems or to encourage them or something along those lines. All right. So they spend a few months at Iconium and then they uh, retreat to Lystra because they, they're being threatened. All right. So they retreat to Lystra, which is a little bit uh, south and east. Um, it's actually mostly south of Iconium. Um, and then they'll preach, uh, retreat there and preach a little bit there, but then they head east to Derbe, uh, which they'll spend quite a bit of time there and uh, preach uh, quite a bit and get everyone set up. And then they're going to retrace their steps and go back to each of these places, see how everyone's doing, make sure there aren't problems, see if they can get more converts and strengthen the leaders that they have. And they just retrace their steps um until they, they don't go all the way back to cyprus instead after leaving perga um they will return to antioch and then they have to go down to jerusalem because this is when we have that jerusalem council where they try and figure out what are we going to do uh we have a lot of gentiles and we don't know exactly how that works because it's it's breaking our mind because we thought that everyone really became a jew uh, and you accepted christ as the jewish messiah of Judea or, or of Jews. And uh, so we don't know how this works there. And they have to have that council. You'll learn lots more about it in the future. Um, but it's a very, very pivotal event. All right. Then they're going to go back to Antioch. <clears throat> That's their home base. And so Paul and Barnabas will go back to Antioch and strengthen the church that they've got going there and make sure everything is going all right there and spend quite a bit of time. All right. The letter to Galatians is probably written here at Antioch at about this time period. Now, we're not going to go into when all the letters are written. We'll do that throughout the year. But just to kind of give you an idea of what we're talking about, it's probably written here at this time, just when they get back from the Jerusalem Council. And Paul reports a little bit on the Jerusalem Council. So Galatia was one of those provinces. And so the letter to the Galatians is to a whole bunch of people in uh, probably even different towns in that area of Galatia. And uh, he's letting them know, uh, okay, here's what you need to do based on what's happened uh, and the word we've gotten from the apostles. Now, I don't know at what point Paul goes from being an apostle, one who sent out to someone, I, I'm not even 100% sure he is uh, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, but but probably at some point he does, and I don't know when that happens. It's probably not at this point yet, but I don't really know. In any case, uh, this is part of what we need to understand is that all of these letters have a historical context. And as you go through Acts, try and recognize the history that's going on so that when we get to the letters, the epistles, we can do the historical context. If I were arranging how to do this, I'd have us read a little bit of Acts and then stop and let's read these epistles and read this and then read these epistles because that helps us uh, understand each better. But I understand that gets really complicated, so we're just going to go in the order they are in the Bible. Um, but hopefully you're picking up. I'm just pleading with you. Pay attention to the storyline of Acts. And then as you go through the epistles, look each time, okay, where what, what's going on historically with this? Why is it being written? And so on. And that will help us understand so many things in these letters. All right. Now, Paul will go on his second mission. All right. So again, it starts um, in Antioch. Uh, well, it they, they starts in Jerusalem in some ways, right there at that Jerusalem council. They go back to Antioch. And that's where we're going to get Barnabas and Paul splitting. And part of this is because Barnabas wants to take Mark with him again. Paul uh, can't forgive Mark at this point. He will later. Um, and uh, they have different ideas of what needs to happen. So they split and they'll go different places with different companions. Um, so 
Paul will take a guy named Silas and they go to Tarsus, Paul's home, and spend a little time preaching and teaching there. And he probably sees some family members. Then they're going to revisit uh, Derbe and, and Lystra there in the province of Galatia um, and uh, strengthen them again. So you can see how often he's just having to go back and strengthen and help people. They don't have uh, any good form of communication except for letters. And that's pretty slow and difficult. So mostly it's going to be revisiting. And then they're going to go uh, further in Galatia and in an area called Phrygia uh, and just stop at a couple of places there. Timothy's going to join them somewhere along those lines. So it's it's Paul and Silas and Timothy. All right. Um, they're going to go. <clears throat> they plan to go into an area called Bithia, but the spirit tells them don't go in there. So they don't. So instead, they go all the way across Asia Minor um, and they sell to Troas or Troy. Um, and they they do some preaching there, and and then they'll sail across from there um, uh, to what is still part of Turkey. But this is so Troas is in the part of Turkey that's part of the Asian continent, and they'll sail across to the part of Turkey that is the European continent um, uh, over into Macedonia. Um, he's felt like he needs to go to Macedonia. He has a dream. Uh, and that dream, in that dream, he goes to Macedonia to preach, and he believes this is a prophetic dream. So Paul will go across the way to Macedonia. He'll he'll go to places like Neapolis and Philippi. Um, that's where you're going to get the Philippians, right? And and so on. He's going to go to uh, Thessalonica and Berea. Now, my guess is that there's a letter, some letters to Berea. We don't have those, but he does write to the Thessalonians and Philippians and so on uh, later. Um, strengthening them and, and correcting problems that have come in and that kind of a thing. All right. Luke joins uh, there while they're in Macedonia. And so this becomes really important because this is how Luke learns about all of this um, as he becomes their mission companion. He's a, a, a learned physician and just a, a good writer and so on. Uh, they will from there go down to Athens. They'll sail along and up into Athens. And he gives this famous sermon. Uh, oh, I've got that spelled wrong as well. But anyway, uh, it's famous sermon on the unknown God in Athens, and then he'll go up to Corinth, uh, whom he will write later, the Corinthians. So again, are you seeing why it's important to understand the need to strengthen all of these when we understand uh, the different epistles? Then he sails from uh, from there, from kind of Greece proper, back into Asia Minor, and he'll land at Ephesus, which is one of the major ports there on uh, the kind of western coast of Turkey, that part of Turkey in Asia Minor. Um, he goes to Ephesus, and at this time, it's only a short stay in Ephesus, uh, but in which is a fantastic city Ephesus is. In fact, we should one day we should do a tour where we go to all these places in Turkey. A tour of Turkey where you can get like 90% of the places we're talking about is just absolutely fantastic. In any case, um, uh, and I was actually lying a little bit when earlier when I said they're going across into the part of, of uh, Turkey because they actually go into what is now Greece, but it's, it's still across that same way that you would go when you go to Turkey. So um, they go on that journey and um, uh, come back to Ephesus and stay there for just a short time. And then um, they, whoops, uh, sorry, then they return to uh to jerusalem uh okay so and report on everything that they've done so that's his second journey right so now let's just go through his third journey very quickly and and remember that this is christ's work all of this 
all these journeys and all this conversion and then strengthening people is just furthering Christ's work. It's doing what Christ would do were he there. So we'll go quickly through the third journey. I don't want to spend forever on this. Um, they go back to Antioch and then, and they spend a long time there strengthening everyone in Antioch. And from Antioch, they will go forward and visit many of the cities that they've already done before. And he's got Timothy with him this time. They go to Derby and Iconium and, and so on and so on. Uh, just strengthening and helping people. Uh, this time they go to Ephesus and they spend three years in Ephesus this time. It becomes th their second base, as it were. Three years and they write letters from there and they go on little mini missions from there and so on, but but they build up the church in Ephesus and spend a lot of time in Ephesus. That's a big and important thing, all right? Then they go up into Macedonia and they strengthen the churches that were in Macedonia um, and, and back through Athens and so on. And they, they go to Corinth. They spend three months in Corinth making sure everything is okay there and, and uh, strengthening them. He was going to return back um, or sail um, from there, but he hears that there's a plot to, to kill him as he gets on the boat. So he avoids that and he returns back through Macedonia and just retraces his steps uh, and, and uh, goes uh, all the way back uh, to Ephesus. And then from there with a few stops, uh, they, they, they sail back to, Tyre, so Phoenicia, and then down to Caesarea, and eventually to Jerusalem. Now, this is a much longer journey, probably his longest journey. I've just covered it very quickly because I don't want to get too caught up in the details. This is an overview. Um, but what I want to, to focus on is this pattern that we've seen before. The Father sends the Son, and then the Son sends us, right? Beginning with the select group, the apostles, and the apostles, um, go out and convert others and then it's our job to convert everyone and bring them to christ so that they can christ can bring them to the father that's what we're seeing in the book of acts is that important spread of the gospel that we've been talking about um and i i hope that having that overview the idea that this is carrying the covenant it's um carrying uh just everything that is needed um to uh do christ's work uh, is what this is about. And it's this story of the gospel going to all the world, uh, told by someone who is a Gentile, not, um, he's a Gentile, not a, a Jew, right? And so this becomes very important to him to make sure that we understand how the gospel goes to all the Gentiles. But I should want to bring up something else. What we know is also happening is that the tribes of Israel have been scattered throughout the world. And so in many ways, the gospel is being taken to Israel as it's being taken to Gentiles. Um, and that becomes a key thing because eventually the gospel goes throughout all the world and it goes to all uh, of Israel and Israel accepts it. And then as Israel is gathered, they can bring all the world with them. And that's kind of the sequel to the book of Acts. So that is uh, our our little lecture for today. I hope it's helpful for you. And, and I think we have some time for questions. Uh, were there any women involved with Paul's missions? Yeah, there are a number of women. And so look for them as you go through uh, the book of Acts. And also you'll see them in some of the epistles, uh, women that he trusts very much, that he uses um, as messengers or that uh, he get, gets good information from them or that take care of them. Uh, so he doesn't have any women as mission companions, uh, which is probably a good thing. But uh, there are certainly a number of women who are involved in those missions. So that's something I would look for as, as you go. Um, so, uh, what were the territories, uh, like that? Another question is what were the territories like that Paul journey through? Were they civilized or dangerous? Uh, I mean, he's going through the Roman empire, 
So a lot of these are are more civilized, uh, you know, quote unquote civilized than Jerusalem. Uh, but there's always dangers on all of these journeys. He does end up in some shipwrecks as well and that kind of a thing. But anytime you're traveling, there are always dangers. The biggest dangers he faces is jealousy. So you get Jews who are jealous uh, that he's getting Gentile converts. And so they try to kill him or they incite riots against him. Or you get uh, in, in one of them, you get uh uh, the the people who make the idols, and now he's getting lots of people who aren't going to buy their actual physical little idols, and they want to kill him and so on. So that actually ends up being his biggest danger, and I would look for that as well. Uh, so were the apostles dependent upon the kindness of others for food, shelter, etc.? Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. Paul seems to, when he's in Ephesus, he seems to work uh, to support himself and uh, then also preaches. Uh, but certainly there are many times where they're just guests at people's houses and, and people take care of them and so on. So there's there's some of both. Good. Other questions? Uh, could you review what you covered about upcoming event and news again? Yes, I'm happy to do that. And I also like the idea of the tour. We'll, we'll have to do a turkey tour sometime. I'm a bit behind schedule on tours ever since COVID, but we're going to work on that. Um, in any case, um, the upcoming events I've scheduled uh, August 23rd, Wednesday, August 23rd. So we'll we'll broadcast this, but it will also be a live event where we'll talk about this last year's excavation season. Um, we'll meet live. We'll we'll get a room reserved and let you know where that's going to be. It'll probably be the same place we've done it before on the McDonald Building, just because it's by our our lab, so it's easy to haul stuff there. But uh, if we find that a lot of people are coming, we might get a bigger room. I don't know. But in any case, um, Wednesday, August 23rd, probably 5 p.m. So those are our, our announcements. So, okay. Well, oh, will BYU, uh, will the BYU meeting be on Zoom also? Yes, I'll plan on broadcasting it. Yes, because I know not everyone comes for uh, Education Week, but it's nice when we do have more people in town than normal to get together a little bit. Um, so thank you, everyone. I hope it's helpful for you to, to get this overview and uh, try and keep these themes in mind as you are reading the book of Acts and the Apostles. So bless you. I hope you have a wonderful evening and uh, we'll see you soon.